Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And this week I've got a real cracker for you. I've got Mark Morris of the Blue Tones and and of Mark Morris fame. Uh, Mark's a, a friend and we've, we've met several times before and he's guested on uh, my Hardcore Listening Podcast. So the conversation was was dead easy because we knew each other it, it just flowed and and what was really nice about this and and it's the, generally the case with, with, with most of these podcasts is the structure you know of, of off the beaten track is all built around those song selections but it's when it just kind of pimbles all over the place and it sparks other conversations and it just goes and finds a path of its own that's what that's when I really like it, and, and that's definitely what happened on this episode. So um, just quickly before we get on with it, um, if you do like this, um, then obviously please go and subscribe, and if you see it on the socials, give it a like, a love, a share, a retweet, or whatever you do. Um, and also, uh, if you really want to hear more, then go and have a little look in the back catalogue, because I've got episodes with loads of your favourite musicians and actors and DJs and TV presenters, etc. Go and have a little route around in the archives and see what's over there and uh, I'm sure you'll find something you'll like. And if you're even thirstier for more, then I also put up uh, another episode or a radio show each week over uh, on my Patreon page. Uh, so just go over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N and search off the Beat and Track podcast and uh, yeah, Go and see what's available over there, and then there's merch as well. Do you know what? The one-stop shop for all of this is offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Go and have a look over there, and it's got links to all the social medias, the shops, the Patreon, everything you need to know. Um, just quickly, big thanks to Mr76 for producing this episode. Uh, big love to Screwbiz Pip and everybody over at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, have you checked out podbiblemag.com yet? Go and have a look. It's the essential guide to podcasts. Not only that, it's also got its own podcast hosted by yours truly, Adam Richardson and Screwbiz Pip. That's podbiblemag.com. Go over there and find out all you need to know about podcasts over there. I'm done. Let's get on with it. Please enjoy Off The Beaten Track podcast with the wonderful Mark Morris. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. 
go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairware Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hello there. Good morning. That voice you heard there is today's guest, Mark Morris. Hello. All right. Nice to see you again. It's, uh, we've, we've just been discussing, it's been about, well, it was a lot longer than I thought. It was two and a half years since you guested on Hardcore Listing, mm-hmm. talking comic books. That's right. So we've just had a, a rant about um, Preacher and Boys. Yeah, the adaptations mm. for Amazon. Sorry, squeaky chair. There we go, sorry. But we're not talking comic books today. Uh, we're talking about you and the music that has soundtracked your <laughs> life. Talk about me. <laughs> Can we talk about me? <laughs> um, Mark, the song with the greatest intro. Well, that's a good... Qu- you know, these are all really good questions, I've got to say, Stu. Uh, and I enjoyed uh, considering my answers. And they did change, even like right to the last minute yesterday, I think I sent you a couple of yep. deviations. You can uh, have honourable mentions. You can throw a few in if, uh, yeah. if it got to okay. the... Okay, I think I might have to in that Okay, case. that's cool. But this first one, this is a tricky one. There's so many great intros, and there are also so many, like, kind of, uh, it's kind of fall short that go for the grandiose and they just feel a bit uh, swollen mm-hmm. and uh, distended and uncomfortable rather than um, epic. And the one I've chosen, it's the, um, it's kind of like a, 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 it's called Prologue. And it's from a Neil Diamond live album, uh, Hot August Night, which he recorded in the 1970s. And it's, it's the orchestra warming up and you can, you know, the band sort of getting behind their instruments and Neil coming out from the dressing room onto the stage. It's, it's really that. And it's really groovy. And then it just kicks into uh, crunchy granola. Uh, 
which is one of my favourite Neil Diamond songs. And listen, this is, I know we started really middle of the road here. Yeah. But um, it's, I love this piece of music. It's my favourite bit of the, I mean, it's a great live album, but it's my yeah. favourite bit of it. And years ago, years ago, before the Blue Tones were signed or anything like that, we'd often use this as a piece of music as our intro. Oh, really? We came on stage and then get behind the instruments and then pause the cassette and <laughs> crack it in the first song. So, I mean, I think you're the first person to choose a live track uh, for this right. question. Um, but I always ask guests, especially musicians um, that, that do this podcast, um, about how they approach intros as songwriters and, and if that's changed. Um, and especially with the Blue Tones coming to, you know, into the public domain in the mid-90s, like the world and the way that the world would ingest music was probably a little bit different to how it is now yeah. insofar as how instantaneous people want stuff now and that Shazam kind mm -hmm. of thing of like hook them straight away and and it, it appearing in, in mainstream culture I guess to be more about the single than the album in this day and age just wondered how you've approached intros to songs then to now has it changed as you know as, as a songwriter for you because of that because of this need to be well, more for, instantaneous for, for that, that's kind of how i see the the mainstream uh approach especially with the labels and pop stars you know sometimes feels now lots of songs start with a chorus yeah um i just wondered like oh yeah i still don't i'm unable to incorporate that into my thinking mm. they're kind of the commercial aspect i'm just unable, i can't do it i i'll write a song I'll record a song. And then if at some point further down the line, a record label says, this could be a single, but the intro's a bit long, I'm quite happy to then edit the intro yeah. later and have that live alongside the original, mm. which stays on the album and stays on the single, but the one that goes to radio is a bit snipped. Okay. That sort of thing. I don't mind that. But beyond that, not really. it's not really entered my thoughts. And I know that it... It's not saying it's good or bad, but it's just, just never the way I've worked or written. Yeah. I, when, when, I write, when I've written with the band, it would be dictated... If we, if we had a song that evolved from quite an, an interesting jam, there's every chance it would have a longer intro so we could explore <laughs> what, we did in the rehearse, what we did in the room together. Oh, if, but then again, if a song is like... Oh, this is a pop song we write in here we would be more conscious of not dragging out the intro too long. Yeah. So you get to the to the you know, the start of the song mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Yeah. And there you're sort of semi consciously thinking about Bruno Brooks chatting over the very beginning anyway and then stopping to chat just as the first line comes mm. in, you know, that lovely DJ thing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And uh there's an art to that. Um but but beyond that, we do sort of go, how, you know, how long is it between the start of the song and the first chorus? Mm. It can't be two and a half minutes. And if you can get it below a minute, yeah. not that you should be snipping things and thinking that way, but then you yeah. go, okay, that feels natural. It does feel right. Yeah. Um, but then we've played around with that and had songs where the chorus has been put off as long as possible and mm. it feels like it's a... Like a like foreplay. You know, yeah. it's, you know it's on its way, but you... you Oh no, it's not there. It's going to yeah. come again, and you yeah. grow things a little differently. Based, it's not in my. It's not something we or I yeah. uh, think about. So what I'll also ask around the you know that that kind of thing 
is when you write an album now, do you still write an album as a piece of art to be listened to start to finish? Yeah. Or are you aware that lots of people will just cherry pick tracks from iTunes now and, and things like that? Or do you still sort of scrutinise track listings and, and how it should be heard as a, as a complete as a body piece. of work? Yeah, I do. I think, yeah. I think most people do anyway. Yeah. Bearing in mind what you just said, people were going to cherry pick anyway. Yeah. Uh, there's no point overloading it all at the top end and sure. getting bored with the second half. Yeah. Um, but I like and always have. I mean, I, it's part of the pro, the creative process as well. When you're, when you're, when it's evolving in your head. Yeah. You, you, the album doesn't ever start to take shape until you've got like four or five songs which feel like you know um, tent poles. Yeah. The, the cornerstone songs, and then you go, all oh, right, it's the, these four songs. I've already dictated the feel of the whole record. Yeah. And then everything that you write is kind of subconsciously geared towards this mood that those four have set down. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be epic songs or grandiose big numbers. It's um it's 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 never the same twice. Yeah. But certainly that's how I've always structured it in my head and I yeah. think we've always worked like that in the in the group. What about how you listen to music? How I listen to music, I love to stick out. I love well, I I obsess. I I'll get into a song and I will listen to that song to death yeah. until like I'm ready for the album now. What was the last song you done that with? Um, it was uh, Fontaine's DC. Nice, uh, big that yeah. song, big. I listened to that to death in the car, and then I would watch it on YouTube yeah. all the time. And I was like, okay, I'll have one more song. And the album was already out. I was like, okay, yeah. I let one more song in, and I obsessed over that song, uh, Too Real. Yeah. And then it's like, right, I'm ready for the album. Yeah. And then got, bang, I love the album. Excellent. Track two, Mark. Mm-hmm. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah, I put The Killing of Georgie, like yeah. parts one and two, Rod Stewart. Mm. And this is one <clears throat> where um, we didn't have that much music in the house growing up. My money had a handful of records. But one of them was... Um, that album, it's from the album, uh, um, oh, what's it called? I can picture the sleeve, it's, and I'll, I'll Google it in a minute. Mm-hmm. But um, it was just, songs used to wash over me and they'd be always just quite jolly, the radio's on, it's all quite jolly. And then I remember um, hearing this song at home as a child and listening to what he was singing about. And it's this heartbreaking story of this kid that just gets like beaten up and killed and I didn't know at the time but you know you didn't put all the pieces together at that that age but it's because of his sexuality Mm. you find out later on because he's uh, because he's openly gay and Mm. he gets he gets uh, done in Mm. but at the time it was just like oh this kid's just got beaten up and killed Mm. oh that's really sad Mm. and he's singing about it and there's all these ladies going do 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 about it and I'm really it's a really lovely tune, and that had a quite an impact on me at the time. The, the sense of confusion. That was the emotion, confusion. Yeah, confusion and sadness yeah. and um, helplessness. I mean, even in a way, um, the opening lines of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, mm. when I was a kid, listening to that, Mama, I've just killed a man, going, mm. what the, what's going on here, Mum? Yeah. You know, what's he singing about? But both of them songs, I guess just the beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody, but... Um, the Rod Stewart track, it's such a 
obvious. It's a story, isn't it? It's yes. so easy to... There's nothing particularly mysterious about that record, is it? It's pretty right. much as it is. It's a complete story. And it's... It would probably be mine. Yeah? Yeah. Really? Like wow. That. It's, God, it's one of them songs. It, it stops, doesn't it, before the end. And yeah. then it drops back in and it's like... It's a heavy record, that. It's quite a complex number now that, you know, that I understand it in a different way. Yeah. That I'm older. Not just the subject matter, but the way it's arranged and the way it's suddenly... It's, it's a sad song, but it feels like, well, we're still selling, celebrating the life of Georgie because it's upbeat and it's happy and you've got all the, you know, the ladies singing mm. and... Yeah. It's... Yeah. It's a... Uh, it's quite a complex piece, but at the time, as a child, it was just yeah. like um, I thought. This isn't do well, did he? Yeah. This isn't five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. What's going on? You know. Did you think that you were sort of drawn to to things like that though? Because I think a, a lot of people, and I guess maybe you know, creative people as well, maybe more so that when you get them songs that are, are a little bit darker and a little bit more uncomfortable. Are you drawn to that sometimes? Yeah, I am. I always yeah. have been. Yeah. I, I always have been, yeah. I like finding out that it's got a more sinister meaning. Yeah. I like things... I think that's the great thing about pop music, isn't it? It can, dis it can disguise... Things can come in through the back door. Yeah. You can be singing a, a tune and not realise what it is you're singing about Absolutely. the whole time. I mean... Uh, I mean, I, I like to do that with the songs that I write. Right. Can, they can be quite melancholy subject matters, but, mm. but they sound quite upbeat. I've, I've played the vinyl backwards, Mark, of the Blue Tones. It's sinister as fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> Destroyer of leaders. <laughs> so where was you born? I was born in Chiswick. Okay. Uh, uh, How was that? Yeah, it was... Uh, Not I, the birth. I don't remember, you know, <laughs> weirdly. Well, I didn't live there for long. I was, it was in the borough of Hounslow, so yeah. that's where my mum was whisked to. She had me quite young. She was just 16. And then I <clears throat> spent the first few months of my life around that part of London, Mortlake, and then I grew up in Hounslow. How was that? That was all right. At the time, I had a, I had a very enjoyable childhood. I, you know, not, not boring, mm. because it was, um, it was a working-class area, so I lived on an estate, and there was always lots of other kids around, and I think that's what... You remember? Yeah, of course. You don't understand the other social situation about, about where it is yeah. you're growing up because you're just a kid. Well, I guess that brings us on nicely to track three, which is a song that reminds you of that time and being at school. Okay, yeah, and no, I chose um, the Beastie Boys for this one. Um, no Sleep Till Brooklyn, right? Well, I could have picked anything off of the um, Licence to Ill album yeah. because I do have some very strong memories of that time of me and a a handful of friends being so into that record and being the cliched party boys in that we'd arrive at the party, take out whatever cassette was playing and put the Beastie Boys on yep. and kind of just not be, not be menacing, yeah. but just hang around the cassette player and go, no, no, don't touch it. Yeah. No, 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 fine, leave it. You, you'll like it. It's, it's, it's strange because obviously the, 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 the Beastie Boys, are for, for lots of people that might, might be a bit younger, I think we're very similar in age, Mark. And, and, and that album was definitely the album yeah, of my school out. time as yeah. well. Um, but for people that have, have probably sort of been sabotaged onwards in mm -hmm. that era, have completely politically sound and, and, and you know, very on point, that album was so raucous. And the furore around that album of, you know, tabloid front pages that the Beastie Boys were coming to the UK, it was a far different Beastie Boys to what perhaps 
come 10 years later. Yes, that's right, yeah. And, you know, for us, we was we were pretty good kids, but we were still nicking V-dub signs off the front of cars and, and, and putting them around our yeah, necks. I never and... did that. My brother did, Scott did, my little brother did. I know I never did any of that. Uh, but, you know, I was walking around in Def Jam tops. Yeah. Feeling like the coolest kid on the block. Yeah. <clears throat> and, yeah, you're right, they, they just jumped out of nowhere. And we didn't know, we didn't have any reference point for those mm. riffs. We didn't know that they were ACDC and Led mm. Zeppelin riffs. Yeah. We were hearing them for the first time. Yeah. And just laughing at the... And the songs were so silly. Yeah. And fun. Yeah. They were singing about smoking, things wasn't... But yeah. had nothing to do with me at that age. Porno Mags. Porno Mags. But that still <laughs> probably had nothing to do with me at that age as well, really. Yeah. Sort of 14 years yeah. old. I was on the cusp of all that, all those wonderful things. Yeah. And uh, um, it felt so sort of, sort of forbidden, and the parents hated it. Yeah. The grown-ups hated it. Yeah. To them, it was what it is, which is just... Yeah kind of tuneless yeah. and some white guys shouting. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's what we like about it. Do you know what? I've got a really strong memory of, of being at school and probably like second or third year senior and going to this, this party in quite a posh place uh, near to where we grew up. And, uh, and me and all my friends lived on this estate and were, were working class kids. But one of my friend's brothers got into this kind of private school and... and and, uh, and and there was this kind of party and it was like a real mixed bag of all of these quite privileged kids, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, I don't know what music was being played, but the DJ that was DJing the party was from our estate. And halfway through the night, we was all just standing around the sort of side of the dance floor, a bit too uncomfortable to dance and trying to look tough. And he went, right, and I went to this school called William Edwards. And, uh, and he went, right, Willie Eds. Let's have this. And I remember him putting Brass Monkey on and all of like, the lads from our school just sort of, like raucous and just jumping around the dance floor thinking we were just like, yeah, this is our band. This is, this is what we're about. We're angry young kids. Uh, um, all right, so talking about school, Mark, was, was you a creative kid? Uh, I, was, um, I was into the um, performing arts and I liked... Um, um, creative writing and um, English and writing stories and poetry and I was always into the you know the, the drama and the performance and the theatre side of it I loved all that mm-hmm. and I was also really into sports mm-hmm. I was captain of the football team for five years and uh, I was I really enjoyed long and middle distance running and all that yeah. sort of thing so I kind of um, carried like Two different sets of books, if you like. I did yeah. hang out with the arty kids, and I also hung out with the, the sporty lads. Yeah. And there wasn't too many of us even in that Venn diagram. Yeah. That, and um, and I enjoyed it. I mean, mm. I, was, I, I, I was a very active kid. I wasn't a sit-around. I had lots going on. I was in lots of clubs, and like I say, with the football, there was lots of football sure. training, and then I was in theatre clubs and putting on shows and all that sort of stuff. I know I, I, I have fond memories of school. Was you confident? Um, I wasn't, I was kind of confident, yeah. I wasn't like a big, I wasn't brash, hmm. but in certain environments I felt confident. What were they? I felt confident when I was playing football. I was very good at football mm-hmm. as a kid and like I say, I was captain of the school team and I played for a, a club and I played played for my borough and I played for the county and I played for a little while for some other clubs. Um, 
and I was really like focused on that until I had an unfortunate injury at the age of about 14, I think I was. And that was it. I couldn't play for a year and my head was completely turned by um, music and hanging out with a different set of people and, also, and, and meeting girls and hanging out with girls. And it wasn't just like the snogging and all that sort of stuff. It was hanging out with, you know, talking, yeah. listening to their opinions and seeing the world completely differently from the, the set of football lads that I'd yeah. known since I was about nine or ten years old. And just going out to girls' bedrooms and listening to the radio and they, they'd smoke out the window and it's like, oh my God, they're so grown up. And just listening to them, just having these bitchy conversations about yeah. everyone and learning about everything, the real, what was really happening at school. Yeah. You know? What music was turning you on there? Uh, I was really into pop music. I was into the chart music. Was that Madonna and stuff like that? Madonna, that I adored Madonna and the Duran Duran and the Pet Shop Boys and Erasure. Going to, going to see Pet Shop Boys on Sunday. Oh, Can't you really? wait, yeah. Where? Hyde Park. Oh, man, alive. I didn't know that was even happening. Yeah. Is that, is that sold out? Do you I don't think? think so. It's some Radio 2 thing. Uh, oh, uh, oh, Proms in the Park or yeah, no, whatever it is. Something like that. No, there's, there's a lot Proms of in the park. quite average stuff on first, but they're headlining. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, I look into that. Yeah. Because I'm not doing anything on Sunday for once. Do it. Ooh. What a pop you. band. What a pop yeah, band. Yeah, right. I know. And, and it was right as soon as I remember, I remember exactly that moment when I first heard the bass line for um, West End Girls. Oh. When that first came on the radio, it was in one of these girls' bedrooms. It was Justine and Sam Samways, these two sisters. And we'd all pile over their house. And, and they had bunk beds and we'd all used to sit around the floor and they all on the lower bunk bed. And that came on the radio, and it was kind of like, shh, 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 shh shut up, shut up, what's this, what's yeah. this moment? Yeah. And record play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the moments are so great, aren't yeah. they? What uh, is this? What is this? I'm write it down, write it down, write it down. I'm going to find them out about this band. So you're a big Erasure fan as well? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I interviewed Adamski yesterday, who I, I saw support... Erasure in 1990 at Milton Keynes Bowl. It was the, the wild party. It was like, and it's, it's so weird when you look back now to think that Erasure headlined Milton Keynes Bowl, they just how big that they band huge, was. Yeah. And, you know, it was on my radar, you know, Vince Clark's Essex Royalty for, for, for us. So, mm -hmm. uh, but again, it was, I think there's, with the Pet Shop Boys and Erasure, when I mentioned earlier about them, kind of sort of dark undertones in pop music, both of them bands, I think, were very good at that. You know, it was like, it wasn't disposable what they were doing. There was so much disposable Yeah, on the pop. surface it was very light mm. pop music, yeah. but the arrangements were really clever. Yeah. The lyrics were really like engaging yeah. for different reasons with those yeah. two bands. Completely. And um, um, and they had imagination. Yeah. They had fun. Mm. And again, in completely contrasting ways. Yeah. The Pet Shop Boys were quite subversive and yeah. darkly humorous where... Yeah. Um, Erasure played with just being fun and yeah. silly and yeah. doing all the circus stuff. Yeah, 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 completely. And um, can you remember that photo shoot that the Pet Shop Boys done for the enemy? I was telling some people the other day that I was going to see the Pet Shop Boys. And, oh, they're fucking boring. And I was like, no, they're not. Like, but can you remember that they done a photo shoot for the enemy? I, I think it was quite late on in the, the sort of, maybe sort of late nineties, and it was obviously New and Chris sitting in a rowing boat with these pointy orange and white hats on just in the middle of a lake with these huge pointy hats on let me just think 
that's not a boring band. That's a band that are doing it exactly yeah. right. They're just having such fun. Ridiculousness. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that's what pop that should be. That was from the album Very, wasn't that's it? That's right, it was Very, yeah. yeah. I, I think he's a massively underrated um, songwriter. I totally agree, mm. yeah. And a thinker and talker. He's a really intelligent man, isn't absolutely. he? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I could listen to him all day long. I love Neil Tennant. Yeah, excellent. Just chatting, just telling me his opinions. But I'm going to put this in the fridge. And get yeah, go for it, mate. Go for it. It's a bit so, um, what I also want to sort of know is uh, around this point when when you've you've realised perhaps that maybe football's not going to be the the the, the career now. You've, you've had an yeah, injury yeah, that's yeah, kind right. of put that to bed, <laughs> um, and you're listening to pop music. Was that a consideration at this point that maybe I could forge something within this? Would you picked up no. a guitar by then? No, I was I was just interested in music and interested in learning to play. I had picked up a guitar, yeah, um, but I wasn't thinking about being in a, in, a, in a band or long term or anything like that. Mm. I formed a little school band and we did a cover version of No Sleep Till Brooklyn, excellent, which was White's in which was White reminds right. me of the school days as well. Okay. Mm-mm. Ironically enough, my friend Ian, who was uh, our keyboard player, my first keyboard player, or I guess I was his first singer, I suppose. Uh, I saw him about a month ago. Um, it, we went out and um, caught up on a Monday night and he ended up staying till like one o'clock in the morning <laughs> and uh, forgetting about work the next day. But we were talking about all that stuff recently and yeah. it was nice to just reminisce. We just, I had a, I had a bass guitar, basically. Mm. So all right, all right, there you go, I'm in a band. Yeah. A friend had a drum kit, a friend had a guitar, and Ian had a keyboard. It's like, there you go, we're a band, right? Yeah. So we used to do cover versions. We did, um, excuse me, we did Addicted to Love. Yeah. We did No Sleep Till Brooklyn, and we attempted, oh, what was the other one? I was trying to remember the other day what we, oh, it wasn't. It wasn't white lines. Well, it might have been white lines. Right. Right, and bucket, but obviously yeah. a really dumbed-down version yeah. of the bass line, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Take out about three-quarters of the notes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you look back really fondly on, just through myself doing bands and things like that, but obviously not anywhere near the level that, that your career's gone, but that, for me, those early years of just mucking about once it starts to get a bit more serious and you get a record deal, there seems to be a lot more weight and expectation mm-hmm. and things like that. Do you look back at them early days as like some of the greatest of just being able to find, like muck about and just really yeah. enjoy it? And, and the first ever gigs are just, you might as well be playing Wembley. They're like the most amazing things Absolutely, ever. Absolutely, yeah. The most charged yeah. experiences. And also the amount of effort that and work that it would take to get to just a rehearsal, yeah. to get together to play your terrible yeah. music, you'd have to lug your stuff halfway across town on yeah. buses, uh, and and then obviously home again. Yeah, and you know you'd be paying out your own money for a rehearsal room and setting up. You only got three or four hours, or whatever yeah. it is. So you really make the most of it and really enjoy yeah. it. And then, because otherwise you could just go, no, I can't be bothered. Yeah. It's so easy to just go, no, it's a lot of grief. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was all part of it. Yeah. All part of the adventure and yeah. getting to the gig and getting all your mates and doing flyers. Yeah. And going around wallpaper pasting posters yeah. to, to the, you know, those GPO boxes and yeah. posters and stuff. All that stuff. It was just like, this is what being in a band is all about. Completely. Just going up and down the tubes. I remember we used to go up and down the Piccadilly line. 
just with stickers with our band name on it, just going from carriage to carriage, putting stickers yeah. around. So people would, yeah, there you go. It's, 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 it's subversive, yeah. subliminal advertising. Brilliant. What was the band called? <laughs> well, that, we were called The Bottle Garden. Right, okay. At first. And, um, and then we became The Blue Tones a bit later. Wonderful. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, in school, it was just fun. It was never, it was just, I'd like yeah. to be able to do that. I'd like to be able to make a racket. Yeah. Wasn't it? Right? Yeah, and completely. Just, you don't know at the time, you're not doing it because there's need for expression, but, yeah. you, but there is a need for expression. Yeah. Uh, do you, what was that expression at that point? Did you just want to sort of show off and impress girls? And No, not at all. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I always find that, See that argument when people say I joined a band to uh, formed a band to meet girls, and it's like yeah. I never had that reference point. I never thought of it like that at all. For yeah. me, it was just I wanted to a like mess around with my pals, and it was kind of like um, galvanising a little gang. Really. Yeah, it gave us a common interest and gave us like it was just cool feeling like you were in a band and yeah. that you were doing something, even though we weren't writing songs or creating yeah. anything, but, but learning. Yeah. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. And you said you was confident in scenarios, uh, certain scenarios at that yeah. point. Was, was you confident with girls? Could you go and talk to girls like, aside from just sort of listening to the yeah, radio? Could, could you, could you could approach could talk, girls? Yeah, and, yeah, but that's because I used to hang out with them. and Yeah. I knew the girls. Yeah. And 
uh, yeah, I was. I was never. I was always nervous about girls that I had a crush on, of yeah. course. But generally speaking, I didn't have a problem talking yeah. to girls. I mean, my son's just started secondary school, and he's going and, and he's going to a boys' school, and I was a bit concerned. I mean, it's his choice. Yeah. And I'm not. I've got not anything against boys' schools, but I think it's horses for courses, and sure. I think it's going to work for him. Blah blah blah. But I'm just worried. It's like, oh, you're not going to get to hang out with girls every day, and that's a yeah. shame. Yeah. Because, like I said before, it's like they they tell you what's really going on. Yeah. At school and in the world, you get a whole other perspective when you when you, when you talk to girls, and I think it's beneficial and would help you later in life. But yeah. oh well, never mind. <laughs> Come and ask your dad. <laughs> All right, track four, Mark. The first song that you bought from a record shop. <clears throat> this was a seven-inch single of uh, Mike Oldfield's "Moonlight Shadow." Yep. Yeah. Uh, Nineteen eighty-three. I think you're right. I think it's eighty-three, yeah. isn't it? Um, and was that, I was, was that number one? I think that no, was. No, it was a number four for three weeks. Good effort, mate. I know. I did research <laughs> that. I remember that because there's an, uh, there were two of my favourite singles stayed at number four for three weeks. I think one of the other one was, I think it's something about you by Level Forty Two. Did the same brilliant thing. <laughs> I mean, it's such a shame. I used to obsess about the charts. Yeah, I used to memorize it and keep the charts cut them out and keep them and look forward to the new chart and where everything would go and now it's just i feel like it's been stolen from me if they'd have if they'd have kept the charts alive i'm sure i would still be as obsessed with it today as i was then i'd like to know when it stopped being in the the red tops on a monday morning what the top 20 was because it, it was like exciting viewing for me a lot i mean I think throughout the sort of late eighties and early nineties, I'd stopped listening on a Sunday night that I was probably at. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, but I'd obviously catch the chart show on a Saturday lunchtime. And but the and real charts came out on a Wednesday, didn't it? It came out. You got another chart on a Wednesday. Was there the Gallup chart? There and there was, was. Yeah, that's right. And there was yeah, one Gary Davis used to right. do at lunchtime, and yeah. I'd go around Manan, Manan's for lunch. Yeah. When I was at school, because she was like a five-minute walk away, and she'd always make me a lovely, a sweet and sour chicken and rice lovely. every day. <laughs> That's a proper name. I know, right? Because you know I liked it. (laughs) And uh, listen to the Gary Davis show on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, whatever it was. But yeah, I mean, it's a shame. You're right. At what point did it did it lose its meaning? I don't know. I mean, for me, I can't put my finger on it. I mean, when the charts became so diluted, it wasn't based just on sales. It was like it's also streams and uh, Mm. whatnot. Now it's like, oh, well, that can be. That sounds to me like it can be. circumvented and it can be uh, you can cheat yeah <laughs> well it, it was really weird I, I, I interviewed on this podcast maybe a month ago Kate Thornton who was the editor of Smash It oh yeah of course and and I asked sort of Kate about at what point did she get that job and what was uh, her first issue and and uh, I said who was the cover star she was the time? editor when we were on the cover yes she spoke about you <laughs> stay there stay there have you got it Uh-oh. I'll pause this so we're we're back. We had to pause there, and and, uh, and and while we paused, Mark did actually pull out the smash hits uh, with the blue tones on the cover uh, that we was just speaking about. And uh, great, right? Yeah, I know. Those were the days. <laughs> I took a photo of Mark reading it, so I'll put it on the socials. So go and go and have a little look. Um, but and, and that was the thing when I said to her, who was on the cover when of your first edition? It was like, well, uh, take that. I just split up. And so it was like, so I was like, oh my God, that must have sold 
hundreds of thousands, and it was. She was saying it was. They, on, no, it was when it must have been when Robbie left. They, yes, yes. Sorry, Robbie yeah, when Robbie left, left yeah. right? Uh, and she said it was like on the wane, and like, and you just think at that point, like, take that was such a massive pop band, and she said literally then within two weeks these. Four, five girls walks in which was obviously the Spice mm-hmm. Girls and you think when you look back at 90s pop those those two bands and as well as that like the fact that the Blue Tones were on the cover of Smash It's like at that point indie music become pop music as well didn't mainstream. it it was, it was on top of the pops it was while, yes. yeah and, and it just seems strange that that interest in that pop culture in, in print and in the charts and that was on the wane it's quite strange yeah, why? What, why do you think that was? I mean, because it's pre-internet. Pre-internet, yeah. It's a it's a good few years before the internet starts yeah. to do anything at all, isn't it? Yeah. Because uh, I guess around about maybe two years later, that maybe the Melody Maker disappeared. Can't think when it was the Melody Maker went under. No, I can't remember when that went under. But that must have been uh, mid to late nineties. Why was that? Because it wasn't as if the market was saturated, mm. was it? Because that's all there was. Yeah. And the market is saturated now. Yeah. The internet has saturated the market. Yeah. But some institutions do survive. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. Records were selling. Yeah. There was interest. Tickets were selling. Well, it was probably the, the last big hurrah of massive album sales, really, wasn't mm-hmm. it? I guess, you know. Pre-Napster. Pre-Napster, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so we, we was talking about record shops uh, and, and, and Mike Oldfield's Moonlight Shadow, which I can't hear that thing on the far show now. Cause, uh, <laughs> um, so as you got older, the record shop... Dave, Dave Angel? Dave Angel, That's yeah. Like half a tomato with a bit of salt on it. Um, so the record shops an important place for you was there like absolutely oh my goodness yeah there was our price in Hounslow High Street which was quite small mm-hmm. but had a good a good stock mm-hmm. there was like Woolies had the chart mm-hmm. but I used to love getting the train into central London and spend all day in HMV just reading sleeves and you know with maybe 20 quid to spend that you're gonna spend yeah but you don't want to go in there and spend it in five minutes. You yeah. want to spend all day spending yeah. those £20. And I used to love that. Yeah. And I remember when um, uh, Amazon and uh, internet sales first started becoming a thing. I was, you know, I'm so, I'm, I haven't got a clue. I was like, no, people aren't going to go for that. It takes away the whole Journey. experience of people. I think people want to be engaged with their music and pick their music. And mm. no, of course they don't. They just want to click and have it arrive on, yeah. their, on their doormat as I do now yeah of course but only because the record shops are gone yeah there needs to be a great record shop here in Tunbridge Wells mm. until about sort of seven or eight years ago and I just used to just wander in there and just see what he had yeah and there was one in Seven Oaks as well that's just closed and I just again just used to pop in and always get something yeah. like, what you got what's new ish yeah and it's nice if you've got people in those maybe the more independent, or even HMV, I guess, that, that know what they're talking about yeah, and can kind of days, turn you on to new things. The people in HMV did know what they were yeah. talking about. They could be a bit snotty about it, yeah. but I like that. Yeah, completely, completely. <laughs> and I would also sort of 
have a little look around the shop and if someone had like a cool band t-shirt on I'd kind of sort of saddle up next to them and just have a little look at what they were looking at yeah. uh, just to find out maybe what I don't know about I should be <laughs> yeah right <laughs> okay, okay. I mean that sounded quite sinister but it weren't no, I was just he's got a pixie t-shirt okay what is he checking out what's he checking out it's it really was as tragic as that yeah, Mark yeah Sabotar who are they so was that what you were spending most of your money on at that point records yeah records and um, that, yeah, records and clothes, really, mm. but not that much on clothes. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what, but the first job I had, well, I was too young to get a proper Saturday job. So I worked the whole six weeks holidays on a building site and I got a fiver a day. I worked from half eight till half four and a fiver a day was crap money even then. Mm. But I just wanted some money in my pocket so that I could A, buy a bass guitar, B, buy the queen is dead and see get a pair of jeans yeah and i did all those things at the money end well of, spent end of this, yeah right and because of that bass guitar i got into the band yeah. and then i got into the, my first proper band because i had a bass guitar mm. just all you needed just an instrument were the smiths a big entry point for guitar music uh sort of passionate level yeah for you? they were they i was starting to get into other things more alternative music but mm. my best friend at school was a kid called greg and he was the drummer in my first band, and he was also the first drummer in. He was in the Bottle Garden, and then he was the first drummer in the Blue Tones mm-hmm. as well before he left. Um, his mum was like really quite a young mum and quite tuned in, and his auntie, her sister as well, they were really into alternative music, and so he got it. He got a lot of the Smiths and the Cure and uh, the, what was it, the Wonder stuff, anything. Anything that was, you know, on Night Network and all yeah. that sort of business. And in the NME, before we were reading the NME and yeah. anything like that. And so he would come to school with cassettes of the Smiths. And at first I was a bit resistant to the Smiths, like a lot of people are, because of Morrissey's voice. I couldn't get beyond it. But was the, the creative writer in you and stuff like that not oh, turned no, on by Oh, no, I was that? totally turned on by what he mm. was singing about. Mm. And, um, and I didn't understand a lot he was singing about as well because, mm. of my, because I was young. I didn't understand about... Uh, I didn't know, I don't know what mammary glands were. What's that? Can <laughs> you get me your hands on your mammary glands? Where's that? Is that, isn't, that, isn't that just like under the ear? Isn't that? And, um, and other things, you know, celibacy. I didn't know what celibacy was. I had to ask or look it up. Yeah. But yes, but uh, a lot of his stories, of course, were ever appealing to me. Mm. But it was on one occasion I went, went, I went around Greg's house and what difference does it make? The original, or not the origin, original, the single version. Yeah. Not the one that was recorded on Hatful of Hollow. Yeah, because that hasn't got the proper hasn't intro, got, has it? No, no, no. It hasn't yeah. got the right kick, hasn't yeah. got that, And it hasn't got that yeah. swell. Yeah. But him and his mum and his mum's boyfriend were absolutely blasting it out of their flat. And, and I remember being in the living room and walking in and it's just absolutely blowing, everything's shaking. And then, and then I got it. It was the power of it all. And it what like, a fucking intro. <clears throat> that song. That, everything about it's perfect, isn't yeah. it? Still is. It's a really powerful piece. In this day and age, you know, I'm, I'm sure we're both huge Smiths fans and, and, and I'm a huge fan of Morris's music as well. Can you... Can you distance the man from the music? Yeah, I have to. 
you have to, don't you? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it's like your granddad when your granddad starts talking shit at the yeah. dinner table. You have to kind of just zone him out for yeah. a bit and then go, well, I still love granddad. He yeah. He's a bit of an old prick these days. Yeah. Or he can be. Yeah. And with Morrissey, I just think he's uh, just disconnected. He doesn't live in the real world anymore. Yeah. Uh, he lives in Los Angeles anyway, doesn't he? He doesn't want the blazes is going on over yeah. there. And I also do think that he's, I think he's, uh, you know, I think he has a disengagement with people, uh, which in other people you might diagnose as being on some kind of spectrum. Mm. But because he's Morrissey and he's he has this wit and intelligence as well, yeah. I I mean, he's perpetually sorry for himself. Yeah. And he's perpetually um, the victim. I mean, when you having read his book and listened to his Desert Island discs and every interview he's done, all that sort of thing. But he's always um, feeling sorry for himself. You know, and after a while, you kind of just want yeah. to shake him by the lapels. But when you're 15 years of age and you hear that for the first oh time, my God, yeah. it's everything, isn't it? Oh, I mean, it's only in the last... Ten years, I've started to disengage with him yeah. a bit. When his records started getting crap, mm. but I still enjoyed him. Mm. But then he started getting a bit crap, yeah. and there's not much else to. But I love those, those old records. You got to separate those from his Absolutely. dodgy opinions. And I, you know, I'm not even convinced they are his dodgy opinions. I, think, I just think he's a bit of a. I just think he reads it all wrong. Yeah. I think he wants to be controversial and he wants to spark debate, but I don't think he reads. I don't think he understands quite what it is that he's playing with. Yeah. You know? Uh, I find it very hard to accept that Morrissey is a racist. Come on, I think God. he says yeah. some really stupid things and I think he's playing a dangerous game by yeah. by all that. But it could well be. Yeah. And the fact that he's willing to sort of play with that kind of fire is a bit disappointing. Yeah. I don't think I could... Uh... I've put that any better myself, mate. That's exactly uh, where, as I see it. All right. So you've left school, and and looking at your song choice, this is this is pre-blue tones um, coming into the public eye. So for track five, Mark, the song that soundtrack your years in Clubland. Well, here you go. See, see, my choice here is a little anodyne. I, I admit, and and I didn't really have a Clubland experience life. Yeah, I'm not necessarily talking about. But, yeah, Those, but them lost summers in IB for that. No, but yeah. I, that's why I've chosen this song because okay. it, I did have an alternative uh, recreational uh, dance music experience. Okay. Well, you know, it was. We used to do this. I went to a couple of raves, and it never really took. Yeah. Um, but we used to have this thing. We all lived in a shared house, all of the band, and it became something of a something of a a youth centre because mm. it was. A very free and open door house. So, were the band signed at this point? Just no, we weren't signed. Okay. But when we got signed, we still lived there for a little while. Yeah. And um, now we were all signing on and getting our housing benefit. So our landlord was happy. He had regular money, and we. Yeah. I lived there, so the house was kept nice and clean. <laughs> and uh, but but it was like we had a snooker table. We had like a video machine, we had games consoles, we had a computer, we had a record player, we had a card table. You know what I mean? So everything was there and people used to just come home from work and before they went home they'd come to our house and chill out yeah. and then go home. And so every few weeks we had this thing ironically called the Every Saturday Club. 
I think it was Adam came up with it because it was the ESC on the escape key and it was like our little escape thing. Like we done, yeah. I know, right? It's quite smart, isn't yeah. it? And, uh, but, it, and it, but it wasn't every Saturday club. It was just every couple of, about every five or six weeks throughout the summer when it was warm. We did it a couple of times when it was colder, but it wasn't as much fun. And we'd just go to the park. It was a huge park a couple of miles away, so we'd all walk there, about 12 or 15 of us. All, we'd all take ecstasy and walk to the park and we'd just take a load of batteries, a couple of big cassette players and all our refreshments and blankets and stuff and torches and lamps and candles and just go into the middle of the woods and have our like rave there yeah. and every, everyone would bring a cassette and everyone would be able to have a, um, a side each because we'd, we'd be there all night long. So you'd make a mix one side of a cassette and then yours would finish and someone else gets a go. It was brilliant. And I, I really associate that time with Adam had put, onto what, had put Charlie by the Prodigy on there and I'd never heard anything like it before. And it completely blew my mind and it was one of those, stick it on again. Oh my God, stick it on again moments, yeah. you know. And uh, so for us, that was our club experience. None of yeah. us went to club land. I mean, I, I, that place, Labyrinth, I went there once okay. and I hated it. I felt really uncomfortable and claustrophobic in there. But did you go to sort of indie clubs? Yeah, a bit. Hmm. A bit. Not, not a lot, though. We were hmm. quite skin yeah. as well so we had to pool our resources yeah so we didn't go clubbing at the weekends we'd mm. stay in and people would come to us mm. like i say we had the youth clubs so someone would come around and they'd have there'd be some beer there'd be some cider there'd be some weed and just hang out yeah and it was like um it was a very nice atmosphere i mean even us four when we were all signing on we would all chip in and get some weed that, yeah. that had to be done at the beginning yeah. of the uh, two week stint oh, okay we need that we're almost out <laughs> and you'd shoplift little things like cheese and yeah. you know butter and whatnot. yeah and uh, but yeah that, that was our drug experience and we and we and we had some killer times yeah. we had some really killer times on um, on ecstasy yeah uh, like I say, like 12, 15, maybe more of us would go to the, would meet at our house and we'd all walk. Yeah. We'd set off at about 9.30 when it was starting to get dark and we'd stay there until it got light. Yeah. And then walk home again and everyone would come have a cup of tea at ours or some people would sleep, yeah. get up and go home. So moving forward to when you, you know, you've signed a record deal, you're, you're, you're on top of the pops, you're, you're having chart success. Was there clubbing experiences then which you got always at parties and and how, how was that and how did, how did you deal with 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 being on the cover of smash hits how, how did that affect you as a person it didn't really change that much to be honest i got you got recognized more and you got stopped more but that's i enjoyed all that it was quite nice people everyone was ever so nice mm. no one was ever stopping me to go oh mate yeah really don't like your song <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> sorry about that um I mean, you'd go to places and you wouldn't have to buy your drinks. Yeah. Um, we didn't... I mean, I used to like going out on a... We went to this place called Midweeker at the Borderline. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Mm. It was every Wednesday. And uh, we liked it because it was open till three. And it was an indie club. And because of... We were with the Blue Tones. <laughs> you could get there and some nights you could go to the DJ. Oh, can I put a couple on? 
and he'd go, yeah, go on, be my disc, be my guest, and you'd spin a few records. And, yeah. Uh, not like be like the cock of the walk or yeah. even anything like that, but it's just like, oh, you, after a few weeks of being there every week, they're like, of course you can. Yeah. And, and everyone like, wants to play a few records in a club, don't they? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And had the arrogance to go, well, actually, I'm going to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there was that place, I and mean, before we... Was that as diva as it got for you, Mark? Probably, <laughs> yeah. that couple of records, please. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, I do remember once, I, did, I, I was a bit of a prat sometimes, but not... I was always punching up. <laughs> okay, what do you mean? Well... I remember once we were at, we played at the Astoria and we'd just come off stage, we were headlining and we'd sold it out and um, we'd been backstage. That's a moment though. Oh yeah, of course, of course, exactly. And after we'd played, I think there was a club night going on, so we were leaving the venue and through the venue, got to the front door and our bus was parked outside. We were going to get on our bus and go off to the next gig and I'm leaving the venue with my bag and I've got my pass and I've got a bottle of red wine in my hand, opened. And the bouncer just goes, no, nah, you ain't taking that outside. And I was like, oh, that's all right. I mean, I was in the band. We're just leaving our dressing room. And there's our tour bus, like, there. there's our tour bus. He's like, no, mate, I don't care who you are. You ain't taking that outside, meaning my red wine. I was like, oh, come on. I've only got to go, like, eight feet. I'll go on. And he went, no. And so I went, oh, all right, rules are rules. And I just stood there and poured it on the ground. <laughs> and obviously he, like... Picked me up, <laughs> grabbed hold of me, was uh, lifted me off my feet, and uh, someone stepped in and uh, rescued me. But I just do stupid. Shit That's like a that. reasonable request, Mark. I think so as well. Yeah, yeah. But I was just being like, hey, I'm the big superstar here, and there was people around <laughs> watching. There were people gathering, and I was going. Was your pouring like seven yeah. quid's worth of red wine on the oh, floor? Seven quid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But oh. I was just like, okay, mate, your rules, just pour them on the car. It wasn't on the floor, it was on the carpet inside the building. Right, okay. That, that changes it a bit. Yeah, I was inside the, inside the foyer yeah. in his domain. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, for track six, Mark. Oh, yeah. The favourite song from an artist from your home county. Yeah, well, I... It was quite interesting, because I knew a few people for, who were from Middlesex, which is my home county. Okay, like who? Well, I knew about um, Jimmy Page, mm-hmm. and I knew about uh, Ian McLaggen from The Small Faces. Mm-hmm. He's actually born in Hounslow. Okay. And I knew about Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. And Phil Collins was also born in Chiswick, would you believe? Okay. And grew up in Hamworth, which is a bus ride from Hounslow town. But he, I recently read his autobiography, and he, a, a big part of the beginning of the book is describing Hounslow as it was when he was growing up. So it would have just changed a little bit when I was growing up. They had the Piccadilly line there mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. And he was talking about how it was, you know, the, the, the golden route into London, the Piccadilly line. You were from Hounslow in less than half an hour, you were in the West End. Yeah. So, and for me, that was, you know, I associated with that. That was what it was for us. It mm-hmm. was, for him, it was... The train ride, a short walk, and a bus. And for me, it was just a train, train ride and a short walk. Mm. And um, and I loved his book. And I do like Phil Collins, much maligned, I think, Phil Collins. And I, I th- I've got so much respect for him as an artist because it doesn't matter if you like his music or not. He's remained true to his inner voice. And he's 
he's been a pioneer in so many things. Unfortunately, those things have become unfashionable mm. and mocked. Uh, but what every artist, I think, strives for is just to be... Um, is in this sea of expression, it's just to feel like... Just to be recognised for your uniqueness. Yeah. And he's got it. He's got it, you know. And I think respect to him. I yeah. love Phil Collins. And he's a... And he seems like an all right bloke as well. Yeah. He's very modest and humble in his book. And he doesn't slag anybody off, even though he's got licence to. He must have had some bad experiences, mm. but he keeps a lid on all of that and lets you use your imagination. He's very discreet. And you can colour it in for yourself. And he's not shy of his own uh, shortcomings and addressing those and talking about those. Mm -hmm. But he's basically just super dedicated and wasn't able to say no to people yeah. at a time. And I can completely understand that. Yeah. It's like <clears throat> it's like the freelancer's way of thinking. Yeah. <clears throat> if you've been, if you've had a fallow period, so yeah. um, you kind of, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I don't want to go back there. Yeah. And so you think, this could all dry up again any minute. So mm -hmm. you don't know how to say no to things when yeah. you perhaps should. And that's what he did. I mean, there was that period in the 80s when he was doing his records, Genesis records, producing Tina Turner albums, producing Eric Clapton albums, touring playing, with... Playing drums for Tears for Fears, yeah, Howard Jones. That, oh, my God, exactly, all that sort of stuff. And he's suffering for it now because of his, his, his health. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely a, a direct result of what he was doing in the 80s. Mm. I mean, I'm just giving you a Phil Collins lecture here. Yeah. No, but, I, do you know what? I've seen the book and I've not read it. And, and it's easy to hate on Phil Collins. I know everyone hates on Phil Collins. But everybody, however snobby you are with music, I guarantee if that person is in a car on their own and against all odds comes on, against all odds comes on the radio, they ain't turning it off. What a tune. What a fucking tune, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what a tune that is. I mean, I mean my goodness. Yeah. And uh, well, I didn't pick that as my song by my yeah. favourite artist from Middlesex, but I did pick a Phil Collins number. Yeah. And um, it's I Missed Again, which was his second single from uh, Face Value, the first one. Is that one. his debut, debut solo album, wasn't it? I always get those two mixed up. Hello, I Must Be Going and Face Value. Face Value. I, I think, think Face Value was the second one. Right, okay. So it must Face be Value was Susudio and that sort of stuff. Oh, no, stuff. that was No Jacket Required. Oh, yeah, it was. That was much close. later. Yeah. So it was, it was, that was Face Value. It was one of those two first. Yeah. No Jacket Required came about four years afterwards. Yeah. Have you seen, because when I was putting the playlist for this together yesterday, where they've remastered all those albums, he's recreated... He's done the photo again. The photo yeah. again, yeah. Like now. Yeah, it weirded me out when I saw it, and I was like, all oh, right, it's a remaster. <laughs> yeah. oh, I can't remember it looking like that. <laughs> is he always... This guy, was this guy yeah. never young? And, it, and it's really strange, because I've, I've kind of... Uh, at the age that we are, the Invisible Touch Genesis album had an impact on me. It did. He got, this is a link, because when I had that job when I was working, you know, I said the six weeks, yeah. my uncle got me that job, and out of my meagre wages, I mean, I worked for six weeks and got yeah. 180 quid. Yeah. Or, no, 125 times six, 150 quid. Yeah. And um, I still bought him a present to say thank you for getting me this job. Yeah. And I bought him the Invisible Touch Brilliant. LP. <laughs> I just have to cycle nine miles there as well, by the way. Jesus Christ. For a fiver. Nine miles there, eight, half eight to half four, and then... Nine miles home, and I got a fiver. You really wanted that bass guitar, I didn't did. you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't want my stepdad to give me the money. That's the main thing. 
So did you like Genesis, the early stuff and the late stuff? Like, what's your stance no, I, on Genesis? I, uh, I liked Mama. Yeah. And I like That's All. Yeah. And I like... Oh, I like bits of Genesis. Yeah. I don't know enough about the early Genesis yeah. with Peter Gabriel and yeah. the early Phil Collins Genesis when it yeah. was Trick of the Tail and stuff. The first one with him singing is called And Then There Were Three. Oh, that is that is that is, is that is Trick of the Tail, Peter Gabriel still yeah. then? Uh, then There Were Three. It's I, follow You, Follow Me's on that. That's a lovely record. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I'm not a, a Genesis aficionado. Selling England by the pound. That's that's great. That's is that the Phil? That's Phil no, Collins. that's um, is that Peter that, Gabriel? That's Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Okay, but Phil sings a couple of songs in that. Yeah. Doesn't he? I think he sings Trick of the Tail on it. Right. Okay. That's why I'm getting confused. Yeah. And the first one is I think you're right. It's called and then then number three. three. Yeah. Uh, uh, With what did you say? Turn follow up, you. Follow me. Follow me. Right. The Twitter song. Yes. Love and done there. Um. Okay, so did you see Phil Collins live then? Hey, I've got a great Phil Collins live story, oh. Stu. This is going to okay. rock your socks. My mum used to have a job working the bar at a, a place called the British Lion, which was the uh, the bar in Shepparton Film Studios. So during the 80s, there wasn't a lot going on there. They did a lot of TV commercials and uh, pop videos. But because they had the huge sound stages, big acts would go there to do the pre-production for their tours. Howard Jones was there, Robert Plant was there, and Phil Collins went there. And then one Friday after school, um, we didn't have a babysitter, so my mum took us, she was working Friday night, to work with her. So we'd sit in the back room and play pool while she was uh, running the bar and all that. And we knew Phil Collins was there, so I brought along my cassette of No Jacket Required, my 12 inches of Studio, and my 12 inch of You Can't Hurry Love for him to sign. And he signed, and we went along to the soundstage, and he signed them, and he said, oh, we're about to do a, a rehearsal. Do you want to come and watch? And we were like, well, yes, please. So he sat us in front of the, of the sound desk and did the whole show with the lights and everything. And did you and your brother? Me and my brother and my sister and my stepdad was there. My mum had to go back to work at the bar. That's incredible. Yeah, and then as soon as he finished, he came bounding down the ramp straight towards us. He was like, what did you think, guys? And it was like, well, <laughs> it was very nice. You know, it was amazing. Wow. Uh, uh, he was such a lovely, it really made a, an impression on me yeah. about, um, about how to deal with being famous, I suppose. Yeah. And, and the um, effect it had, you know, because he yeah. must have been aware that it's, for him it's just a rehearsal. Yeah. But he made a little go a very long way yeah. in being so like, warm and engaging and yeah. listening to us. Well, that was brilliant. Oh, that's wonderful, Mark. Phil Collins haters, I hope you're listening. Exactly, right? So from, from that day forth, I've always held him in quite high regard. I've got a very similar story Go about on. Howard Jones. Go on. <laughs> so I was DJing and I was into all my kind of, you know, stuffies and Carter and all of that at this point. And, uh, but Howard Jones was coming to Basildon and I loved Howard Jones in the early 80s. And, uh, and me and my best mate had got tickets to this some pretty small venue in, in Basildon and, uh, and I'd never seen him and I was super excited and I got dumped that morning uh, by my first love and it broke me up Mark and, uh, and I was like oh I weren't ready for this and, uh, and we, we thought let's get there early and see if we can meet him when he arrives and, uh, and we did and, and as, he, as he's walked in I was just like oh it's really nice to meet you Howard 
And, uh, and he was like, oh, thanks, lads. And, uh, and he said, do you want to come in for the sound check? And we was like, oh, God, yeah. Mm. And, uh, and my mate said to him, like, oh, he's, he's been dumped. Uh, he's, he's got the right hump. And, uh, and he said, like, um, we've been listening to one of your songs on bloody repeat all the way up here because he's feeling sorry for himself. And it was this bizarre track from one of his later albums that no one ever listened to. And as we sat there in sound check, he played that. And I was like, and he was never, he wasn't in the set and he just played this song that was like a really beautiful record and he played it because I'd just been dumped by my first girl. What a sweet gesture. Oh, mate, it was lovely. It was absolutely lovely. It's a shame you can't remember which song. I know the first It was called Will You Still Be There? And it was on the album with Everlasting Love, which was the fourth album, I believe, right, okay. after uh, Dream Into Action. First album was Humans Lib and then the 12 inch. Are you album. counting the 12 inch album as his second album? All oh, right. right. I've got another Howard Jones officiado here. Well, I'd have said Dream Into Action is his proper second <laughs> yeah, album. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But the, the second. There's only Pearl in the Shell that's an original song on a 12 inch album, isn't there? He's always asking questions, not on Humans Lib and only on a 12 inch. I don't know. That's a good, that's a good one. I want to I, I know. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Howard Jones tweeting. Um, all right. So. Uh, we recently started doing hide and seek in the Blue Tones shows. Oh, really? Yeah, just like a, about two thirds of it. Just like um, doing this thing where we we muck about a bit yeah. in between songs and we go into a, into into it. Not a piss take. Yeah, quite faithful. That's a lovely record. Yeah, that's he did, a he did big it at chorus, Lave, didn't he? With his yeah. him and the piano, mm. whilst they were changing things behind him. Yeah, getting Queen ready. Because I think Collins played drums he on. No one is to blame. On uh, Dream Into Action. Dun, 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 <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't think this podcast would take this turn. This is great. <laughs> I used to draw Howard Jones a lot. He looked quite yeah, interesting, Yeah, I used to have a thing about drawing his portrait a okay. lot because of... You could get use all your colours on his hair and stuff, couldn't yeah, you? Absolutely. I've got very strong memories and he's got a very, very dis- a distinctive chin, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so was you, was you Jones, not Kershaw? Uh, no, this is this is a tricky one. I because um, I shared a, bro- uh, a bedroom with my brother, and we only had limited shelf space. We would divvy up the bands that we were both into about who's going to get them, and he got there first with Kershaw and Jones, right? And the Thompson Twins, whilst we're on the subject. <laughs> okay. And I had things like uh, I had Go West and uh, Tears for Fears, yep. and but, but for example, you know, we both like and see, I had the Pet Shop Boys, he had Erasure, yeah. So there's no point us both buying of course. all the records when they come out. Yeah. So um, that's how we... It was just whoever got the first one first. Yeah. It was like, that's it, they're yours. For example, Talking Heads. I've always loved Talking Heads, but Scott got in there first, so I was never allowed to buy the albums right. until we... Yeah, established that that's his band. That's his band, And then yeah. you was allowed to like it after that. Yeah. Okay. I'm not allowed to buy them is the thing. I'm yeah. not allowed to buy them. He buys them. One of the really nice things about this podcast is everybody's super honest and no one's trying to be cool with their song choices. And that's something I've really enjoyed about doing this. And for every person that probably would have referenced uh, Tears for Fears, uh, sorry, um, Talking Heads, they've they've gone with Tears for Fears, who I guess for a critic, they're not as critically amazing as as Talk Talk. Yeah, they're not as interesting as Talk. Talking here. But they've got some fucking they've great got some, records. They've got some apps, they've got some songs that slap. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and we've, we did a couple of Tears for Fear songs and we muck around at the Blue Tone. Really? Team. Which we ones? A, we did a bit of Power Shelter oh. and we did a little bit of, of course, Everybody Wants to Rule the World because yep. it's 
It's a good old sing along, yeah. that one, isn't it? They played last year, didn't they? They come over and played loads of shows. And, and well, earlier this year, we were playing Milton Keynes uh, on the same night they were playing at the Bowl, and whilst, un, unbeknownst, and we were doing Pale Shelter. Amazing. More or less the same time as they were doing it, because there, there was a friend who had a friend at the gig. A friend of ours yeah. was in touch with their friend, and they were saying, yeah. oh, they're playing this, they're playing this, they're playing, they're playing yeah. Pale Shelter. And it's like, the Blue Tones just played that. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, well, I guess it's right that we move on to the last song because we're going to talk about yet another incredible band from, from the 80s. And, uh, and the last <laughs> track, Mark, is a song that many may not know uh, that you would like them to hear. Yes, uh, from a record I'd like them to hear, from mm. an album I'd like them to hear. It's Talk Talk. Mm. The song's called Ascension Day, and it's from the album Laughing Stock, which is their last recording. Um, oh, my God, and it's years ago. Mm. I can't, it's, it's, about, it's over 20 years ago. Easily. Yeah, this record, isn't it? It's like 94, perhaps, mm. 95. And um, I always loved Talk Talk. I loved it when they changed and became the colour of spring Talk Talk. And then they changed again and became this completely unique beast. I mean, mm. I didn't know it as much at the time as I do now about mm. the process that they went through making The Spirit of Eden and Laughing Stock. But they're very odd records in that they don't grab you they yeah. don't grab you they seep into you you've got to put them on and just let them come over you mm. let them wash over you let them you've got to live inside them let them live let, let them fill the room mm. a few times before you because the human brain always wants to it's looking for the hook it's mm. looking for the solution to the puzzle it's looking for the 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 form mm. And there's not always that much form in yeah. this these records. It's quite jazzy, for want of a yeah, better word. It is, and it's quite folky, and it's completely unique. And it, they would jam things out and jam things out and jam things out, and then listen to them back and then cut them up mm. and make records that way. So they were, the song was never ever played mm. in the form that it is on the record before or since, because they never played those songs live mm. ever and it's a completely unique way of capturing musicians playing on their instincts rather than looking at music or knowing what the chord, what mm. chord they're going to go to next they can they're completely free to experiment mm. and if it goes wrong they just go round again yeah what and a unique man hollis was yeah right oh, what a voice yeah all right from the amazing pop stuff Right the way through to to oh, his, his solo album, like, they're just, so soulful those mm. records, and so you feel like someone's really letting you yeah. into their heart. Yeah, that's, I know that sounds kind of corny, but that's how I f yeah. feel about those records. I mean, yeah. and, and again, there's something I don't listen to all the time. The Talk Talk records, mm. but there comes a, a cycle where I throw myself right in at the deep end. And although I love, as for much as I love Color of Spring and. Um, it's my life and all that stuff. It's the last two records that I play the most. Yeah. Um, Spirit of Eden and Laughing Stock yeah. because they just put you in a really nice yeah. mood. They put you in a really nice state. I'm, I'm going to shout out a listener who's, who's a guy called Grady Draws, who's an artist, and uh, and he sent me this after Hollis died. He knew I was a big Talk Talk fan, and he sent me this amazing piece of art of of him with just the word such a shame above it and it's up in my bar it's it's absolutely it's a beautiful piece of art and that man just 
not Grady draws. He's a nice guy. But Mark Hollis, oh mate, and Ed Hollis. He was uh, an Essex boy, wasn't he? Yeah, and and Ed, um, before he died, um, he would come to my club and stuff like that before I was there. Who's Ed? It was his brother that died? Um, that was in early Talk Talk. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. I was in the first album, mm. the Talk Talk album. Yeah, yeah. His brother died and oh, uh, got got mixed up in some bad stuff. All oh, right, was it a drug overdose? Yeah. All right. Uh, Didn't put those guys off, though, did he? No. <laughs> and funnily enough, we're talking about bands and covers. The only cover my band ever done was Give It Up by Talk Talk. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that album is it's, it's steeped in heroin. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah. But before then, it was all acid. Yeah. Talk Talk, wasn't it? They jumped from that to heroin. Yeah. I know we're talking, I know it's making it sound very flip. Yeah. But I remember seeing, remember those uh, video albums you'd get in the 80s, uh, VHSs? Yeah. With the whole of the videos from Rio. Yeah. There was a Talk Talk one, and there was outtakes from the video for, uh, it might have been such a shame. No, it wasn't such a shame. It's not, it's... When that that field? It's, uh, yeah, and it's, oh, it's... um, And then Tripping Balls. Yeah, it's... Dum Dum Girl? Dum Dum Girl. Yeah, Yeah, right. And, it's, it's, and, they're, and they're totally tripping, aren't they? That video is called Natural History. That's right. Yeah. You can't get it anymore, can you? No. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep looking, actually. <laughs> now that I know it's, remember it's called Natural History. Fans. Yeah. Well, but, that was um, the best of that come out alongside that video compilation. That's right. Yeah. And, there's a, and, they're, and they are just tripping balls. And they're standing yeah. there going, trousers. Tra- tra- trousers. Aren't they? I'm oh, so you glad say, you remember that. They say trousers. And we were kind of... Obs- well, I remember me and my brother were just obsessed with that. Yeah. How hilarious that was. Yeah. And thinking, no one else is picking up on the fact that they're yeah they're off their heads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. I was at their last ever gig as well. Here's the thing: I was at the um, Hammersmith Odeon gig in '86, the last of the. Um, well, they they did a couple of shows after that, but there was. Did they Montreal that's after it. that? That's yeah. right. Yeah, the Golden Rose thing. Yeah, yeah where they did. Amazing version of uh, Give It Up as well. Living Another World. That's right, yeah. yeah. But I was at the last English show. I've got the, the, I've got the live album over there. The um, Wow. September 86. But I didn't know I knew it was the last show at the time. Yeah. And yeah, they finished with Dum Dum Girl that night. That was their second encore. They didn't used to do encores, did they? Wow. I never saw them. Right. Saw them once. So are you going to go to this tribute to, to Mark Hollis show that's uh, on at the, is it the BFI? Uh on the South Bank. I didn't even know about it. When is that? Uh, oh, God, I don't know when it is, but they were talking about is it. Is it next year? I think it might be talented this year. I'm not too sure. Right. But, uh, yeah, have a little Google. It all sort of came out about a month ago. I don't even know if tickets are on sale yet, um, but whether it's remaining members of Talk Talk and other... Vocals, no, one, no one really knows a lot about it. Right. But, um, but yeah. A tribute a... to him, have to raise some money for his family and that. Mm. Surely that family must have some money there. I mean, talk to... Yeah, he must have some serious residuals from yeah. those big numbers. Yeah. I guess you don't know what deals they have then. And no, I know. Stuff like that. I never know. Uh, so what are you up to at the moment, Mark? Um, I've got a big tour coming up with the... Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Bit of windy wallops. Uh, the Blue Tones are touring in November. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing... The whole of the Science and Nature album, mm-hmm. they're going to have an intermission and then do like a greatest hit set. We're going to do two sets a night. So that's for people who really aren't sick of us yet. Mm. And I've got my own record coming out um, on Reckless Yes on the 20th of September in a couple of weeks. Amazing. 
and a new single for that's coming out in the end of next week with a new video. Superb. Went down to Margate to shoot a video. Oh, I've got oh, a good story about that. I, this is 80s right then. We, okay. just, just to finish this off. All right. Because we were shooting it guerrilla style, you know, just on the street in locations, people milling around. Yeah. And um, in the video, I'm, I'm non-reactive. I just have to be as still as possible, lip syncing, but completely non-reactive to my environment. And we're doing a bit, and a really nice souped-up golf pulls up. And I get a couple of people, and from the driver's side, a quite effeminate-looking... Part of the video? No, no. Oh, okay. This is just while we're filming. Mm-hmm. And so quite an effeminate uh, chap comes out. Oh, what's going on here, lads? And uh, oh, we're making a music video. And it's like, oh, who's, the, who's in the video? Anyone I've heard of? And it's like, oh, that guy over there. And he's like, who are you? Anyone I've heard of? And I said, no, I doubt it. Uh, my name's Mark Morris. And he, and, uh, he went, Marilyn. Yes! And walked off. Amazing! And, sh- and sh- shook my hand. And uh, in that moment, it was like, yeah, it's you. It's Marilyn. And off he went, she went. Mm. And um, my wife I, is I, obsessed yeah, with I Marilyn. Yeah, I wanted to, and I didn't, I wanted to go, Marilyn, Marilyn, you know, <laughs> come back. Yeah. Hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> but it was one of those moments where I was only asked my name. So yeah. Amazing. She could go, Brilliant. I love that, uh, was, that he's still exactly like that. That's amazing. Yeah. He was so charming. I keep saying he and she. I don't know what, what Marilyn's current status is at the moment. Yeah. You can't but find that out. You can't find out much about Marilyn on Twitter because every single tweet that he posts is sensitive content and you can't see. It's generally an, an, an endless bicker between him and Boy George. It's still going, it's still on. going like, on. It's amazing. What, to this day on Twitter, they still, do, yeah. they still snipe at each other. It's great. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Mark, where can people find out about your shows and Blue Tone shows? Oh, yes, of course. Um, the usual places. My website is Mark Morris Music, mm-hmm. and all my shows are listed on there and releases, and there's videos and whatnot. And the Blue Tones, it's the Blue Tones Band. Um, and, again, it's all the listings and ticket links yep. and videos and whatnot. The usual yep. website stuff now. You call for me to tag you in it all when I put this out? Yes, please. Wonderful. Mark, thanks loads, mate. Lovely to see you. There you have it. Told you it was a cracker. Mark's uh, a great fella to sit down and have a chat with. Well, I don't need to tell you that. You've, you've just listened to me sitting down and having a chat with him. Um, always a pleasure. Um, he's, he's, he's such a top gent. And, uh, and and I just, as I said at the beginning, I love it when it sort of pinballs all over the place to the point where um, you're finding about all about him sitting down uh, with his brother and his sister uh, with Phil Collins playing an intimate gig for him. It's not uh, your standard everyday story you get when you're, uh, you know, you're chatting to your pals. So that's the good thing about these podcasts. You know, we get to find out all the good stuff. So as I said at the beginning, please like, love, share, retweet and, and, and all of that malarkey. And, um, and please go and have a look in the back catalogue if you're new to this podcast because I'm sure you'll find... Um, something else that tickles your fancy. Um, you can find out about everything that this podcast is about at offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I will see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, And it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. 
I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Stu Whiffin. Hey,